Hey there, welcome to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. This week, we are going to be talking to Scott Ackerman, comedy mover and shaker. He started that show, Between Two Ferns, with Zach Galifianakis, and he's going to tell us why it's actually kind of hard to roast President Obama, even when Barry, as he calls him, is in on the joke. Then we're going to talk to astrophysicist, activist, and now something else that starts with A, author Serafina Elbadri Nance about her new book, Starstruck, a memoir of astrophysics and finding light in the dark. Then we're going to hear some music from Portland's own Family Worship Center, which is less like a cult than that might sound based on the name, although still kind of a cult. (laughs) This week's episode is going to be funny and surprising and pretty much out of this world. So stay firmly planted wherever you are. It all gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey there, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? It's going great. It's time for the game that is sweeping the nation, station location identification examination. Everybody's playing it. It's like the new pickleball. (laughs) (laughs) That's better on your knees, though. This is where I give Elena a little quiz about a city or town somewhere in America, a place we're on the radio, and she's got to guess where I am talking about. All right. This city actually changed its name in 1901 to reflect the fact that a river and bridge separates it from Canada. Well, that rules out about 25 states, uh, maybe more. (laughs) So just think uh, cold, upper Midwest, connected to Canada. It's also the city was known as the icebox of the nation for its cold and harsh winters. That's got to be some kind of like Duluth, Minnesota area vibes. You're in the right state. Oh, is it International Falls, Minnesota? It's International Falls. Elena Passarello (laughs) continue to impress me. That's where we're on KITF FM. That's part of Minnesota Public Radio. Shout out to our friends in International Falls, Minnesota. All right. You ready to do the show? Let's do it. All right. Take it away. From PRX, it's... This week, comedian, writer, and podcaster Scott Ackerman. Essentially, the joke of the show is is that 
I don't know how these insane people get booked on the show. We have an open door policy where anyone can come in. And astrophysicist and author Serafina El Badri Nance. You know, a task of human existence is recognizing that everybody has their own universe, and it's how to reconcile yours with theirs. With music from Family Worship Center and our fabulous house band. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now the host of LifeWire, Luke Burbank. Hey, thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks to everyone tuning in all over the country, including International Falls, Minnesota. We have a really fun show in store for you this week. We're talking about improv and things like that. And so we asked the LiveWire audience a question. We asked them to describe their alter ego. We're going to hear those responses coming up in just a bit. First, though, it's time for the best news we heard all week. This is our little reminder at the top of the show that there is good news happening out there in the world. Elena, what is the best news you've heard all week? Okay, I'm about to introduce you to my new favorite thing. All right. It's new to me. It's actually been around for like almost four decades, but uh, it's happening on five continents. It's starting to happen in the United States. It's a thing that began in Japan known as tiny forests or pocket forests, or if you live in the UK, wee forests. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when someone takes, or a group of people take uh, unexpected small space of land, like part of a landfill or the area around an industrial space. And they basically rebuild an entire ecosystem in this very small space from the ground up. They restore the soil. They engage in really dense planting of native species. And it usually requires immediate and frequent community involvement. Mm. And the cool thing about it is when you build a mini forest really quickly in a small space, like a few acres, it grows so much more quickly than a traditionally sized forest would. A forest like this can grow in decades what takes a century for a regular sized forest to do. And you can see these forests all over the place. There's a, one in a corrections facility in Yakima, Washington. Oh, wow. There are hundreds of them in India. And within like two or three years, new species come and inhabit it. They provide amazing shade to pavements and they change the landscape of you know, these tiny little pockets of your community in a way that pays off really, really fast. So I'm, I can't wait to just wormhole my way through this whole phenomenon, which is just so cool. I'm not saying anything particularly groundbreaking, but I just know for me, when I actually go and commune with nature, when I find myself in a forest environment, something physically feels like it kind of changes for me. So the idea that that could exist for more people, maybe in in more urban environments and places where it's harder to get to what we think of as the forest, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Just imagine all the people in that automotive plant who get to go to a forest now on their lunch break. (laughs) Yes. Hey, speaking of growing things, that's also related to the best news that I saw this week. It involves a, a couple from Pratt, Kansas, Lee and Renee Wilson. Now, uh, you're you're married, Elena. You know that uh, anniversaries can be sometimes challenging when you're trying to figure out what to get your spouse. And, you know, anniversaries can be uh, kind of feel like a lot of pressure. So Lee and Renee were about to celebrate their 50th anniversary, their high school sweethearts living out there in Kansas. And Lee remembered that Renee's favorite flower is the sunflower. State flower of Kansas. That is absolutely right. I didn't know that until I read this article. 
But so what Lee and his son did was, because I should mention also, he's a farmer, is went out and on their land, secretly along with his son, planted about 80 acres of sunflowers. Just the seeds. Just the seeds. Uh, This equals about mm, roughly 1.2 million sunflowers. And he and his son are just out there, I presume, like, pretending each day when they came home like they had just been planting, I don't know, whatever, it, corn, Corn. whatever they were growing in Kansas. And Renee had no idea what was going on. And this summer, all 1.2 million sunflowers bloomed. Oh, my gosh. As a as a gift to her. And she was just absolutely blown away, as you might imagine. Now people have been coming all over to Highway 54, just outside of Pratt, Kansas, where <laughs> the Wilson Sunflower Field exists, all as a really thoughtful, sweet way for Lee Wilson to um, make sure his wife, Renee, felt really special on their 50th wedding anniversary. She said that it did make her feel incredibly special. She said it was the perfect anniversary gift. Um, by the way, they met at a roller skating rink when they were in high school. And Lee says he knew immediately that she was the one for him. So Aww. also a lot of pressure on the rest of us when yeah. it comes to the anniversary game, Lee. I'm going to buy David a bag of David sunflower seeds for our anniversary. <laughs> That's where I'm going. Bring it full circle. So, all right. A little love blooming there in Kansas all these years later. That is the best news I heard all week. All right, let's get our first guest on over to the program. He started his career with the HBO sketch comedy show, Mr. Show, with Bob and David. Then he went on to start an improv radio show, which was called Comedy Death Ray in Los Angeles. That became an improv TV show called Comedy Bang Bang. And now it's a book called Comedy Bang Bang, the podcast, the book. (laughs) When you read the book, it's less confusing than it might seem. Scott Ackerman is also one of the creators of Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis. He directed the film version of that project as well. And he joined us on stage at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, to talk about it. Here's Scott Ackerman on LiveWire. Hello. How are you? Let's hear it for this band. Right. Is it nice for you as a as a host typically to be in the guest? No, it feels seat? weird. I feel like we should switch. <laughs> I'm sure the crowd wouldn't be mad at all. <laughs> They'd be like, "Can we get a real host here?" Um, the beginning of this book, there's a very nice introduction written by Lynn Manuel Miranda. Yes, it's very complimentary to the show. And then you you turn to the next page, and there's a rebuttal to Lynn's comments written by Weird Al Yankovic. How how did that come together? Well, Al, Al was the, the band leader on my uh, television show. And so he, I knew he wanted to do a rebuttal to someone. Because um, that, that was a bit we talked about. He goes, I, I would love to do an intro, but I, I think I want to do a rebuttal to someone. So I just kind of threw it out there to Lin-Manuel Miranda. Like, wrote a random email knowing that 
he was sort of a fan of the show. Like, hey, do you want to do this? And Weird Al will write a rebuttal so to you. So he knew that it, would, it was to be rebutted. Yes, exactly. And so, that, so they, they both, it was one of the greatest experiences on this book. Is, is I just got an email one day from the two of them saying, hey, we wrote that thing. Here you go. And, wow. and it's in the book. It's oh. incredible. I just keep getting emails about penis enhancement. Yeah. From Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah. That's the weird yeah. part. That yeah. is... Yeah. It's like follow-up emails from right. your surgeries? Or? Yeah. <laughs> it really has to do with <laughs> me missing some of the payments. I did it on layaway. Oh, okay. <laughs> lesson learned. Um, can we talk about the kind of early days of Comedy Death Ray? Sure. When it was uh, on Indie 103, what was the show? I mean, I know it started out as something you were doing in clubs in L.A., and then you, you did a radio yeah. show about Like, What was the show like in its earliest days as a radio thing? So I was producing a live comedy show in L.A., which had a lot of stand-up comedians, um, and it also had a lot of comedians doing characters. And when I say characters, meaning they would come out as fake people, that they had created. Sometimes they would be doing impressions. Um, and so when I started doing this podcast, it was a radio show, I thought it was just going to be kind of like me interviewing comedians, sort of like what we're doing right now, but like switched. Um, and really angling for this side of the table. <laughs> God. Well, first of all, like both of you have high back chairs uh-huh. and I have nothing. It's a power move. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but then around the sixth episode I had on one of the comedians who did characters at my show, uh, Andy Daly, and so he did a character, and I was just sort of like doing a talk show host thing where I was asking him the questions. I knew his bit really well, and I was setting him up. Uh, but then we just started improvising. I started asking weird questions that he wasn't prepared for, uh, and he started improvising, and and that became sort of what the show... I, I, I went home and I said, oh, that was really fun. So the show became me having on comedians playing fake people and us just improvising conversations. We, we totally threw out anything that... Uh, where we knew where it was going. For maybe the first year, some comedians would like text me, hey, I think my bit is going to go this way. Nowadays, I, I ask them their name and their occupation, and that's all I want to know. <laughs> really? Essentially, the joke of the show is, is that I don't know how these insane people get booked on the show. We have an open-door policy where anyone can come in. Uh, but it really is like these incredibly talented comedians like Paul F. Tompkins, who I know is on this show a lot, yes. and uh, Lauren Lapkus. And, and they come on and they do these characters that are just insane people. <laughs> but we also have a celebrity on who is there who has to deal with that as well. Right. You know, which, which is part of the, really the sort of delight of the show is hearing <laughs> the famous person trying to interact with you don't, original You don't really Phil. hear that in normal talk shows where, a, where a, a, a genuine celebrity like a John Hamm or someone has to be on next to an insane person who's... <laughs> And, and asking them questions about their lives. So it's, it's yeah, I think it's an interesting format. Uh, we're talking to Scott Ackerman. Uh, his book is Comedy Bang Bang, the podcast, the book. We've got to take a quick break here on Livewire, but don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Welcome back to Livewire from PRX. Coming to you this week from the Alberta Rose Theater right here in Portland, Oregon. I'm Luke Burbank. 
here with Elena Passarella. We're talking to Scott Ackerman from Comedy Bang Bang and Between Two Ferns. Uh, on Comedy Bang Bang, you have on a series of you know people who are improvising characters and stuff. But I feel like the character of Scott Ackerman, host of Comedy Bang Bang, is also a, to some degree a character. Do you think of it that way? Yeah, I mean there are shades of it, especially on the TV version of it. It was a super uh, enhanced version of myself, as I like to say. But it really is the. I'm playing up the most uh, annoying parts of my personality, pretty much. So, but I, I think a lot of it is because when people do press tours for things like I'm doing for this book, you you get asked a lot of the same questions, and you can you know tend to zone out, and celebrities kind of go on rote. And and I, I feel like my job is sort of to get them off balance and ask them questions they've never been asked before. And a lot of that is just me pretending I haven't read their thing or I don't know where they're from or and just having a joke interview, essentially. Uh, was it a, a sort of a trick to try to take this podcast and make it into something that worked as a book? The, the concept of the book is every single character who's been on the show submitting pieces for a book. So we're not breaking the reality of it. The comedians who are playing the characters are not saying like, oh, I'm just the comedian. Um, everyone, you sort of have to know what's going on when you read it, but when you know that it's all comedians who are playing fake people, submitting things to be in a book, I think it really came to life, and it's all new material. How did you decide which characters were going to get in the book? Because I don't think it's everybody from the universe of the show. Yeah, I had to beg everybody. <laughs> Wait, I assumed that it was like you had, to, you had a long, long list of submissions and you had to winnow it down. You're saying no, it was I, work to get these people that are in the book to do even the minimum. We, I, it, it was an ongoing conversation of how many pages do we have to fill, really? I mean, it, it, it would probably not surprise you to learn that there is not a lot of money in, in books. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, especially with, I think, 50 contributors on the book, uh, you know, no one did it for the money. Everyone, I, but it was me definitely, like, chasing people down going, like, hey, Paul F. Tompkins, can you write me three more pieces? Because I just found out that we have four more pages that we need to fill. Please, please, please. And everyone's saying, okay, fine, I'll do it for you. But, yeah, it really was down to the last wire uh, where... Suddenly, I found out right before the deadline that we had two more pages that we had to fill. Yeah. And I just wrote to three comedians and said, can you write something this afternoon for me? And they did it. I mean, I do love the art in the book is amazing. Like, yeah. I mean, it really is a visual kind of adventure because there's so many different yeah. formats that are used and ways these characters are presented. I was wondering, can I just uh, read some of the, the names of some of the characters that are that submitted for the book, and then can you just, for people that may be unaware, can you just describe kind of like sure. what's that person's deal, that character's deal from Their the deal. book? Yes. How about Martin Sheffield Lickley? Okay, Martin Sheffield Lickley is a an entertainer from the 80s. He was a new wave band singer uh, whose son died, but he sings very facile songs uh, like... Uh, the Ship of Love is one of his songs where he talks, and everything is a metaphor for like, we're on the ship and the ship is a kiss. And <laughs> then he ends every song after about a minute with, by singing, my son's dead. <laughs> <laughs> How about Bob Duca? Bob Duca, yeah. Bob Duca is, uh, he's my ex-stepfather who was married to my 
mother for nine months. Um, and he's a hypochondriac. And uh, he essentially writes really long lists of uh, these insane ailments that he has. Uh, what does he have? I was listening to an episode, Ursine Dementia at one point. <laughs> That's Seth Morris. He is, he's so incredibly talented at coming up with these incredibly rich backgrounds for his characters. How about Lord Andrew Lloyd Webber? Well, that's a real person uh, that we have now been making fun of for 14 years. Um, and the real Andrew Lloyd Webber, his musical just closed, I think, this week on Broadway, his, his musical Bad Cinderella. Um, wow. And I, I wrote to Paul F. Tompkins, who has been portraying him for 14 years, and I, I sent him the link to the article, and he said, well, this just clears the way for my musical Worst Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Lord Andrew Lloyd Webber, the version on your show is Paul F. Tompkins. Yes. How many characters, give or take, does he do on the show? Is he your, like, your MVP? Yeah, he is. He's, he's, he does the best of episodes with me at the end of every year where we... Uh, it's the only time we break the reality and we talk about all of the comedians who are on the show and the process that goes behind it. Um, but I believe there's a wiki online that I think he has like a hundred characters or something that he's played. He's he's really exceptional at it. And he never did characters before Comedy Bang Bang. Really? I, I just asked him one day, I was like, hey, would you ever want to do a character on the show? And he went, that sounds fun. And then... Wow. He's now the best at it. It's incredible. That's incredible. Huh. I assumed he had had a whole background in improv long before. No, he had never done it before. Yeah. Wow, wow. that's amazing. Are there characters that don't work, and then we oh, just yeah. they never make the air, or we only hear them one time? Yeah. Uh, yes, there are a lot of one-time characters. <laughs> I, I am proud that there is a one-time character in the book. Actually, which uh, one? Little Damn It Man. <laughs> I can't see why they didn't work. I, 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 to be honest, I don't even really remember what his deal was other than he said he was a little boy who said damn it all the time. <laughs> this feels terrible. <laughs> 30 years in the biz and it still hurts every time. <laughs> We're talking to Scott Ackerman from Comedy Bang Bang. The new book is Comedy Bang Bang, the podcast, the book. You also are the co-creator of Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis, and you directed the episode. Yes, I believe that's the exact amount of applause. <laughs> Two woos, three claps. That's right. Um, and if I understand right, you directed the episode that was with President Obama. Is that, is the internet? Oh, oh Barry. Yeah, 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 oh. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was the longest half second of my life. I was like, did I, am I thinking of the wrong Scott Ackerman? So you're, you're directing the episode uh, with Barry on it. And the, of course, for folks that haven't seen the show, it, it's unbelievably funny, but it's just an absolute savaging of the guest by Zach Galifianakis, saying the meanest things and asking the meanest questions. How do you, like, who do you negotiate out with the questions for Barack Obama for that show? That was a unique one because every single other episode we've done, we have insisted on the guests not knowing what the questions are in advance. Um, even Hillary Clinton, um, they really wanted us to give the <laughs> questions to her. And we kind of, we, we were in a position where we, we kind of said, like, we're just not going to do it then. Mm. And they caved. Um, <laughs> wow. So 
But we tried that with Barack Obama, and um, for about a week they entertained it, and then at the end of the week they said, there's no chance in hell that a sitting president of the United States is going to do this without knowing what the questions were. But it turned into a great um, experience where... Uh, his speechwriters actually wrote some jokes for us, and we, you know, did our process and wrote it. It was the only one that we did that was partially scripted. They improved around it, um, but uh, even then, you know, it, it's so funny because doing the show with Zach. Zach is a really super nice guy in real life and feels genuinely bad saying these things to people. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a joke in the Obama one. Uh, how does it feel to be the last black president of the United States? <laughs> Um, oh. and th- that I would say five minutes before we were supposed to, to tape the episode, we were in the map room of the, of the white house, <laughs> uh, being, being yelled at by the way, by staff. Cause we were sitting in Abraham Lincoln's chair is very, Holy anyway, <laughs> um, but Zach said to me like, Hey, I, I'm going to cut that joke. I can't do that joke to him. And, I was like, oh, no, 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 that's one of our best jokes. You have to do it. <laughs> um, and I finally, I finally got him. I, I said, you know what? It's in the prompter already, and Barack Obama's rehearsed his response to it. You're uh, going to throw him off if you cut it. And he went, uh, oh, okay, that's a good point. And so he, said, <laughs> so he did it. But that's, that's our relationship. I'm constantly having to plead with him to do the funniest jokes because he just genuinely feels terrible saying them. That's a perfect example, that joke of I think it's important for people to understand who the joke is on with that joke. Barack that Obama. Jo- exactly. <laughs> Scott Ackerman, everybody. That was Scott Ackerman right here on Livewire. Um, I feel like I need to give everyone some context. If it felt like that ended kind of abruptly, during the live show recording, we decided to play this probably overly elaborate game with Scott called between two urns we were very excited about this bit going into it but it kind of bombed so we cut it which is why the end of that interview sounded slightly weird but the point is scott's hilarious book comedy bang bang the podcast the book is very funny and it's available now so please do check it out hey special thanks this week to sheen Wu of portland oregon And also Kelly Griffin of Seattle, Washington. Did you know that Sheen and Kelly are part of the Livewire member community and they're generously supporting us with a donation each month? And we're really, really thankful for that support because it is legitimately how we're able to keep doing the show. So a very big thanks to Kelly and Sheen for keeping Livewire going. This is Livewire from PRX. Of course, each week we ask the Livewire listeners a question. Uh, Since we were talking about improv with Scott Ackerman, we wanted to know if our listeners have an alter ego. We asked them to describe their alter ego. Elena has been collecting up some of those responses. What do you see? Uh, How about this one from Andrew? Andrew says that he'd like to have a Superman slash Clark Kent sort of situation where after work... His alter ego causes chaos Hmm. at all hours of the day instead of saving people. A straight-up menace to society. But instead of crime, crime, it's just petty things like (laughs) unscrewing caps in the grocery store and whatnot. I see. The bad guy whose origin story is actually pretty tame. 
Yeah, it's a kind of a merry prankster villain. Right. The, his mom wouldn't let him take like two packets of ketchup, uh, you know, from the Wendy's when he was a kid. So now he just takes all of the packets of ketchup from the Wendy's. Oh, wait, I think that's my origin story. <laughs> Mine is, I didn't know that they even sold condiments like in a full container when I was a kid because all the condiments in our house were <laughs> nicked from various fast food restaurants. I just thought it was typical to open like four packets of ketchup with your like fish sticks that all said Arby's on them or something. Uh, what's another alter ego of one of our listeners? Oh, Lainey's alter ego is Petunia, the owner and operator of a 1920s speakeasy. <laughs> Petunia wears a full three-piece tailored suit and a glittery top hat. Petunia smokes cigarettes from a long holder and always books fantastic nightclub acts. Wow. <laughs> That's intense. <laughs> I feel like what that really points out is the key to any good alter ego. It really starts with the name. Yes. Like Petunia yeah. is a very solid name for your alter ego. Once you have that, that's the hard part. Then you can kind of reverse engineer the rest of the personality. Closely followed by the hat. I think you need to have the mm -hmm. hat very soon as well. Yes, precisely. Okay, one more alter ego before we move on. Okay, listen to this one from Pam. Pam says, my alter ego is a camp counselor. <laughs> <laughs> they can build a fire with sticks, turn any challenge into a catchy ukulele tune, wake up perky and ready to take on the day. And they have a great nickname like Possum Patty. Mm. <laughs> this is a... So alter ego usually means that you're opposite self, yeah. right? So I wonder if this person who imagines being this plucky camp counselor is actually just like Eeyore in human form in real life. Right, because, yeah, this alter ego sounds pretty rad. You know, plucky yeah. camp counselor. Very perky. Thanks to everyone who wrote in a response to uh, this week's listener question. Our next guest is an astrophysicist and also advocate for women's health. Uh, she's been on a simulated mission to Mars, and now she's adding author to her impressive resume. Her new book is Starstruck, a memoir of astrophysics and finding light in the dark. It documents the journey that she has been on discovering the wonders of outer space and also the kind of heavy reality of being a woman working in STEM here on planet Earth. From sexism to imposter syndrome, she has encountered a whole variety of things. Serafina Elbadri Nance joined us on stage at the Alberta Rose Theater to talk about her book. Take a listen to this. Serafina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. The book starts by saying, effectively, the universe is not how we see it or how it appears. What do you mean by that? So there's this notion that, you know, for those who haven't read the book, um, the sort of narrative is interspersed with these, you know, short segments about the universe. And there are parallels that I try to draw between, you know, what's happening out there and what's happening internally within us and amongst people that we interact with. And I think this idea of perception and perspective is something I really try to investigate hmm. because you know we think we observe things and then we draw meaning from them, but oftentimes there's so much more there. Do you think that, that the misreading of, of how the planets move. Like one of the things is you talk about how we sort of think that the sun's going around us. I mean, I understand that we don't live in a heliocentric universe. Even a mass communications major knows that. <laughs> or sorry, we don't live in an earth centric. Do we live in a heliocentric universe? <laughs> well, here's my point. You got there. <laughs> my point is I sit, I sit out in my yard 
and I watch the sun go like this, and it feels to me like the sun is moving through my sky. Mm -hmm. Do you think it makes us humans more self-centered? I mean, we know we're not the center of the universe, but we feel like it in a way, like our misunderstanding of basic kind of planetary movement. I think everybody is the center of their own universes. Mm -hmm. Like we are all, you know, experiencing the world with us at the center. And I feel like, you know, a task of human existence is recognizing that everybody has their own universe mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's how to reconcile yours with theirs and connect with them and, and find meaning in that. You, um, I was surprised at how much public radio uh, appears in this book. <laughs> Felt very seen as a public radio show because yeah. you're a little kid, you're in uh, Austin, you're in your, the back of your parents' Volkswagen, and what is it? Um, Stardate. Stardate is playing on the radio. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and you're just like fascinated. What was it about that that so captivated uh, you yeah. at a young age? I was a really, really cool kid where I would <laughs> listen to NPR and be like, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so Stardate Radio was my favorite show. Um, and there's something about bringing the night sky, which we all experience, to earth and, and, and communicating, you know, the intricacies and sort of that perception, you know, I'm a little kid looking up and I see, you know, a star or a planet. I don't know what that means, but Sandy Wood on Stardate yeah. can explain it to me. And all of a sudden the immediacy of it changes. Mm -hmm. And I feel, again, it's about connection. I feel connected. I felt connected because of that show. Did you feel like as a young woman, particularly a young woman of color, having this interest in science, uh, were, were people sort of welcoming to you as you were expressing this interest or telling you this is not for you? Yeah, I think I overwhelmingly heard the narrative that this was not for me. Wow. I was a kid at science camp. I told you all I was very cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, I went to science camp and I got to meet an astronomer for the very first time. I was... 10 or 11 years old, and I ran up to him, and I was like, I want to be an astronomer when I grow up. And he quite literally verbatim said, you know, no, you don't. Uh, this is not for you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> How um, do you then, as a, you know, a young person, having some adult in a sort of a position of authority say this isn't for you, where do you, how do you find it in yourself to think, it is for me or to keep pushing because a lot of people would just be like, well, I guess it's not for me. I feel like so much of the book and, you know, as I reflect on my journey carving out a place for myself in astrophysics is internalizing that narrative and then trying to disentangle myself from it. Mm. So, so much of that, I think that messaging, it's like, yeah, it's that one instance that sucked. That was really hard to hear. But then it sort of becomes insidious and... For me, it did show up in the way that I, you know, would present myself in classes and, and choose to, I don't know, challenge myself and feel like I belonged in math and science classes. And so I think I've had to learn that that narrative, that teaching is that's somebody else's view yeah. and that's not my reality and that's not the reality that I'm going to accept. That's not the reality that I'm going to pay forward to you know, the next generation of young women and young women of color. Yeah. Now, I have to say, when I picked up your memoir, which by the way is Starstruck, 
A Memoir of Astrophysics and Finding Light in the Dark. It's by Serafina Elbadri Nance, who's our guest here on Livewire. I thought, this person is a little young to write a memoir. But then I read it, and I was like, this person's done a lot of living. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, one of the things you write about in the book is that uh, you found out that you have the BRAC2 genetic mutation. BRAC2, yeah. Yeah, which, which greatly increased your chances for developing cancer. I guess you learned this when your father developed cancer. That's right, yeah. So my dad was diagnosed with metastatic prostate cancer when I was 23. And his um, was extraordinarily fast moving and he was stage four when he was diagnosed. So he was a really good candidate for genetic testing. He got tested, was positive, and then about six or eight weeks later, um, I also tested positive. You know, I learned I have an 87% lifetime risk of breast cancer. So it's almost a certainty. And I have a 30% risk of ovarian cancer. I mean, it's such an overwhelming thing to learn, especially at a young age. And I was so worried about my dad. And, you know, I put off grad school for a year and I sort of oriented myself around his care. And once he was stable, I was able to reflect on my own journey. Um, when I learned I could get a preventative double mastectomy, that was actually such a liberating thought. I mean, there was so much agency wrapped up in that decision. And so it reduced my risk of breast cancer from 87% to less than 5%. Wow. wow. Awesome. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Now, the thing is, um, you, uh, in the aftermath of this, did something pretty extraordinary. I was at a coffee shop here in Portland. I was doing some research on you while reading the book, and I typed your name into the internet, and the first thing that came up was a very large picture of you in a bikini <laughs> posing for the Sports Illustrated swimsuit uh, yeah. edition. Um, I, I honestly love that, actually. Right? It's like, yeah. I, I, how did that all come together? So I had three surgeries in one year. Um, and my last surgery was during COVID. I think it was, it was an extraordinarily difficult, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally process. You know, I sort of had to really lean on my community. And, and one of those friends reached out and said, hey, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit is putting out a call for applicants um, to be in their issue. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> um, and I had never done any modeling or anything like that. You know, I'm in my UC Berkeley little cubicle like doing math. Um, and, you know, I was just like, the, the application process was actually submitting a video where you talk about yourself for a minute and you share, you know, your story. And for me, the most um, sort of empowering part of that process was just submitting the video and mm. saying, hey, I'm a scientist. I, you know, advocate for women's health. I had this thing happen to me where I talk about breast cancer and I talk about, you know, what it's like to reclaim my body after a surgery like that. And when I submitted the video, I was like, that's the important thing. You know, I was able to do something scary and no matter what happens, I did that for myself. And then I got the call that I, was, I got it. And I was like, what, <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> um, <laughs> Did it feel different than an astrophysics class? I was, I was literally like leaving my like fluid mechanics class to like go to do this shoot. And no, but I think um, 
you know, it was sort of this like double life that I led for a second. But um, in reality, when I think about it, it's all the same thing. I am trying to grow. I'm trying to, you know, be a voice. I'm trying to show people that women don't have to fit into boxes, that women can do math and go model in a bikini and go, you know, to Mars and do all of these things. And as long as the passion is there, as long as, you know, somebody is curious and interested and, you know, wants to try something, they should be able to go do it. And I think that harkens back to those voices, you know, those those people who told me, you know, this is not for you. Nobody gets to determine what's for you. You yeah. get to decide yeah. that. We're talking to Serafina Albadri Nance, astrophysicist and Sports Illustrated swimsuit model. Um, <laughs> how do you think about the vastness of space? Because I think for a lot of people, myself included, it's so beyond what any of us will ever experience here on this planet that I personally just tend to kind of shut down because it seems too big to comprehend. But yeah. you live your whole life trying to comprehend it. How do you stay engaged with it when it's so literally astronomical what's going on? That's a very common response. I basically, when I talk to people about the vastness of space, there's two camps. There's either oh my God, the vastness is so cool and we're so small and how awesome is that? Nothing matters. Um, that's the camp I'm in. <laughs> and then the other- Catch camp, me after a few drinks. Yeah, exactly. Right there, right there with you. The nihilism really peeks through. Yeah. Um, and then the other camp is I'm scared, basically, by mm. how big and vast everything is and how little we know mm. and people shut down. Mm. I think- for some reason, for me, I am literally enchanted by not knowing. I think there's something sort of like pioneering about being at the, you know, Star Trek fans out there, you know, like the final frontier. Like we are literally- There are no Star Trek fans here. This is not, <laughs> this is not that kind of vibe. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I suffer from anxiety and you know, for those who might not uh, experience that, everything feels really big and urgent and scary all the time. Mm. And when I couch that feeling with how small we are and truly how we are a blip in the cosmos and things change and the universe really doesn't care <laughs> about, you know, if I missed a flight or yeah. whatever, um, there is a sense of calm that grounds me. And I yearn for that feeling. You know, that's what I am just sort of enamored by and uh, excited to continue to sort of push the boundaries of, of what we know and probe the expanding vastness of the universe. Well, we're very excited that this brings you calm because for some of us, it's very <laughs> mind-bending. But we need people like Serafina Elbadri Nance looking out for us. The book is Starstruck. Serafina, thank you so much for coming on Livewire. That was Serafina Elbadri Nance right here on Livewire. Her memoir, Starstruck, a memoir of astrophysics and finding light in the dark, is now available anywhere here on Earth where you can find books. I'm Luke Burbank. Right over there is Elena Passarella. We've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, you're going to hear some music from the epic rock slash maybe cult band Family Worship Center coming up here on Livewire. Thank you. 
Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest, and they make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. All right, before we get to our musical guest this week, a little preview of next week's show. We are going to be talking to poet and essayist Ross Gay. He is going to be talking about privilege and pain and skateboarding, which are all subjects that come up in his book, Inciting Joy. Then we're going to hear from Michelin star chef and writer Elena Regan, as she talks about her journey from farmer's markets in Chicago to Michelin stars to foraging for food in the wilds of Michigan. It's all in her newest memoir called Fieldwork. And we're also going to hear some music from singer-songwriter Baroque Betty. Plus, we've got to get an answer from you for our listener question. Elena, what are we asking the listeners for next week's show? We need you to please describe your perfect weekend. Mm, okay. Mine would be happening right now. <laughs> My perfect weekend is just happening sooner than normal weekends. Like, let's get it going already. Okay, if you have a perfect weekend you want to describe for us, go ahead and send in your response via Facebook and what they used to call Twitter. We're at LiveWire Radio. <laughs> just about everywhere out there on social media. This is LiveWire from PRX. Our musical guests this week have a pretty unique origin story. Okay, so... Some time ago, a guy named Andy Crisberg was traveling around the U.S., and he goes into this Nashville record store and came across this 21-page Bible for a strange, um, possibly cult-like collective that called themselves Family Worship Center, and it really kind of got lodged in his brain, and so he ended up forming the current Portland-based band known as, wait for it, Family Worship Center. Their newest album is Kicked Out of the Garden. It's available right now. I just want to paint a mental picture for the folks listening, Elena. And you know this because you were there. So, oh, yes, I was. <laughs> this that had to be the most people we've ever had on stage in the history of the program for our musical guest. Yeah, it's like exponentially more. Yeah. yeah, it was like, I don't know, like 14 people on stage. They're wearing like various blue satin robes. They're wearing white jumpsuits. There was every manner of instrument strings horns. It was a whole thing going on on stage at the Alberta Rose Theater, and you're about to hear how it went down right now. This is Family Worship Center on Livewire. Welcome to the show, everyone. Oh, thanks for having us. Um, I know that you must get so much um, there's so many questions about the name, and it's, you're probably tired of talking about it, but I will say this. When I was doing some research on the band, and I was looking to watch some videos and listen to some music. About, I don't know, three results in, I was just deep in like a Texas evangelical family worship center type situation. Has there been confusion? People get confused about a lot of things about us, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think most of the band's confused about what we're doing half the time. <laughs> uh, well, but yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, uh, you know, we hope the music speaks for itself. And uh, I think a lot of the times it does, so... Yeah. What song are we going to hear? Uh, a song's called Snake Dance. 
All right. This Family Worship Center right here on Livewire. Band ready?
my mama Yeah, don't you worry You bring our children In a hurry Oh, hey there, children The time has come For everybody To act as one As one Won't you tell me something Oh, tell me something Over and over again Over again oh, Won't you lie to me oh, Lie to me Over and over again Over again I said someday you might hang for this I said someday You just might understand Thank you That was Family Worship Center Their newest album is Kicked Out of the Garden And you can get it right now All right that's going to do it for this week's episode of LiveWire. A huge thanks to our guests, Scott Ackerman, Serafina Elbadri, Nance, and Family Worship Center. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. And our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Molly Pettit is our technical director. And our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Trey Hester is our assistant editor. Our marketing and production manager is Karen Pan. Rosa Garcia is our operations associate. Jackie Ibarra is our production fellow. And Ant Diaz is our intern. Our house band is Ethan Fox Tucker, Sam Tucker, A.L. Alves, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music. This episode was mixed by Molly Pettit and Trey Hester. Additional funding provided by the Marie Lampfrom Charitable Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we've got to thank members Sheen Wu of Portland, Oregon, and Kelly Griffin of Seattle, Washington. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.